You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the Word of God together. We turn this morning to the letter of Paul to the church at Colossa. We begin our scripture reading at Colossians 2, verse 6, and we'll go to the end of verse 15 of chapter 3. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the price. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their false imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I preach to you this morning from the word of our God as you find it in Colossians 3, the verses 1 to 4 as we have read that together. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, it is, as most of you are aware, the month of October, and that means that we have entered into another season of all manner of activities, Bible study groups, cadets, gems, catechism classes, choir rehearsals, coffee breaks, story hour, all kinds of different activities are commencing once again. The list is long and the list is varied. But yet along with this, something else has also started for another season, and that is the work of pastoral visitation among single as well as families alike. If you have not already done so, then you can be sure that sometime in the coming weeks you will receive a letter, or I should say a phone call from your district elder to try to schedule a visitation. And now in order to facilitate that work in the congregation, it would really be appreciated if you would make time in your busy schedules to meet with the elders. Your cooperation will make their particular work so much easier. But yet, what they want from you, of course, is not just your time and your cooperation. They also want your attention this coming season to a certain theme that they want to use in their visits. This year, they have decided to take their theme from the first verses of Colossians chapter 3. And it goes like this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, why do they, you might ask, choose this particular theme? You might say, well, maybe in part it's because of the striking language that you find in this part of Holy Scripture. And it's also, no doubt, because these particular words are filled with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. And for another, because these verses at the same time also help us to live healthy, happy, blessed lives under the umbrella of God's grace. 
And in what way do they do that? Well, by encouraging us, you might say, to focus as well as to concentrate, or if you will, to prioritize our lives. By reminding us what really, really matters amidst all of the hype and the busyness of daily living. By giving us direction and aim. And you know, I think we all need that. For some time now, I've been walking around with this feeling that I wasn't seeing too well. So I talked to my optometrist, and she happened to have an opening, and she said, come in, take a seat, keep your glasses on, read the top line on the chart. To which I replied, what top line? To which she said, you have failed the test. I couldn't read it. Obviously, even with my glasses on, my eyes could not focus. And you might say that, in a way, is a proverb for many lives being lived today. They don't focus. They're out of focus. They don't know where to look. And when they do look, they don't really see, because life, for so many people today, is one huge blur. And you know, when your life is a blur to you, it's usually also a mess. Blurry lives, messy lives, wasted lives, it all goes and in hand. And so focus, really focusing matters. It matters lots. And as a result, I'd like to preach to you this morning on the theme or the passage that the elders have selected for this season. We'll turn it not so much into a statement as into a question. And the question is, where's your focus? And you know, our text tells us that our focus is really a matter of hearts up, minds up, eyes up. So where's your focus? It's a matter of hearts up, minds up. And Isaac. Well, beloved, verse 1 of our text contains a certain command or instruction, and it is this, set your hearts on things above. In other words, what we are being told here is that we need to set our, our hearts, our affections, our, our loyalties on elevated things. Well, that's a rather unusual, if not abnormal, command. For let's, folk, let's, let's be honest, normally our, our lives are, and our hearts are, are focused on things below. They're focused on the things that we can see, that we can touch, that are, are around us, that we can experience, that we can enjoy. You know, we, we set our hearts on on houses and cars and toys and hobbies and holidays and people and and parties. In other words, the natural thing for all of us to do is to live very horizontal kind of lives. Just look straight ahead. And what some might say, well, that's even hard enough because a lot of people tend to look more down than they even look straight ahead. But, But a lot of us just look around. It doesn't get any higher than that. 
Now notice the Apostle Paul comes along and he tells the Colossians and he tells us that we, we need to get those hearts of ours up. We need to raise them, we need to elevate them, we need to move, as it were, from the horizontal to the vertical. And why? What's that good for? Why is that necessary? Well, you can say the answer has everything to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it has everything to do with His death, resurrection, and ascension. Notice closely, first in our text, it has to do with the death of Christ, or better yet, it has to do with our death because of his death. Notice the opening words of verse 3. For you died. Let's start there. What does it mean? You died. I'm still living. I pinch myself and it hurts. I'm still breathing. I'm still seeing. I'm still working. I'm still holidaying. How can the Apostle Paul say that I have died? That can't be true. If I was dead, I wouldn't be doing all of these things. And instead of doing them, I would be six foot under in the grave. Paul is mistaken. Only he isn't, beloved, not really. For what the Apostle Paul is doing here is something that he does throughout all of his letters, and that is he uses the language of identification. Now sometimes, and you can hear that and read that as well, Paul uses the language of substitution. At other times, he uses the language of of identification. And what does that mean? Well, when Paul writes that Christ has died for us, he's obviously using the language of substitution. Because he's saying that Christ has done something for us, in our stead, in our place. But then at other times, the Apostle Paul uses the language and the expressions with him, in him. And you know, that's the language of identification. In other words, he ties what Christ has done to us. He links it all together. He binds us to Christ. He he unites us to him and to his work. Look, for example, at chapter 2, verse 11. There Paul writes, In him you were also circumcised. Now that's the language of identification. It's saying that Christ has been circumcised or has gotten rid of the sinful nature, and so have all who believe in him. And in verse 12, the same applies in that chapter, in that Christ was baptized, buried in water, and so, in a manner of speaking, are we as well. You see, believers are identified and linked to Christ to his person, and to his work. 
And now if you ask what works in particular, well, first of all, and that's the point that Paul wants to stress, first of all, there's the work of crucifixion. On the cross, he died. Yes, and on the cross, Paul repeatedly says, we died as well. We died to sin, to self, to our old nature. You know, the other day I read about two girls who are real, quote, unquote, party animals. They went out every night to all the local bars, and they drank, and they smoked, and they danced, and they puffed, and they often got drunk, and they were often immoral as well. But then one day, their lives were transformed by the gospel. And then they received an invitation to yet another party. And then they wrote this brief note. Sorry, but we won't be coming because we have died. I'm not sure whether any of you have ever written that kind of a note. It's rather startling. It's also kind of odd, isn't it? Because here they're, they're still living, they're still breathing, they're still functioning, and yet they say, we died. And what they mean to say is we have died to our old lifestyle. We've died to our old nature. We've died. As they used to call it, the old man. And Paul says, now that's happened to you Colossians as well. He writes to them in chapter 3, verse 3, you died when Christ was crucified. He wasn't crucified alone because you were crucified with him. But notice, that's not all that Paul writes or that Paul says. He adds, you've been raised With Christ, he also says, after crucifixion comes resurrection, after Good Friday comes Easter, after death comes life. Yes, and now Paul says, as believers, you also get to share, not just in the dying, but also in the rising. Because of Christ, because of your identification with him through faith. You've been raised with him. You're hidden, as it were, in him. His resurrection covers you and hides you. You know, Paul also made the same point back in chapter 2, verse 13, when, when he wrote, God made you alive with Christ. And indeed, he makes that point in his letters over and over again as well. We who have died with Christ have also been raised with Christ. And you know, that's worth thinking about for a moment. One day, someday, sooner or later, unless Jesus Christ returns in the interim, we are all going to die. As they often say, the two great certainties in life are death and taxes. And that's sad, 
It's also kind of depressing. But you know, it's not defeating. It's not defeating if you are in Christ through faith in Him. Because then you live your life in the knowledge and the certainty as He arose, so I am one day going to arise as well. As the grave couldn't keep Him, the grave isn't going to keep me either. As death was not the end for Him, it's not the end for me either. With Him, I've died. With Him, I've risen. And isn't that a wonderful, marvelous truth with which to go through life? This life of destruction, of so much sadness and tragedy and catastrophe, to know that you have in you the life the everlasting life of Christ. But you know, there's more. For not only shall we rise from the dead with Christ, notice Paul says one more thing, we are also going to be elevated with glory with Christ. Paul speaks about where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, of course, that again is the language of identification. You could also say it's the language of elevation or promotion as well. To be at the right hand of God means, as hopefully all of my catechism students know by now, to be at the place of honor, power, and glory. It has to do with ancient kingship. If in the ancient times a king said to you, come up, my friend, and stand beside me on my right hand, then you were being accorded a huge and immense privilege. And if at the same time the king said, come up, my friend, stand beside me, and now sit down, that meant that this honor and this privilege was not just momentary, but it's meant to last. You get to sit down, and you get to enjoy it. And you get to stay there. It's not just a flash in the pan. It lasts. Well, beloved, Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father. But again, he's not seated there alone. We are, in a manner of speaking, sitting there beside him and all around him. You see, we who have died, we who have been raised, are now also the recipients of this new and permanent heavenly position. And maybe now, after all that, I'm sorry it's been rather long, but after all that, maybe now you can understand why Paul says to the believers then and now, Raise your hearts and set them on all these things that are above. We've been so highly promoted. So astonishingly promoted. 
So why in the world would we want to live as if we're still below? As if we still are infested with merely ordinary lives. Paul says believers get those hearts up to where Christ is in terms of everything he's done for you and keep them there. But then notice, it's not just in our text about raised hearts. It's also about raised minds. In verse 2, Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And you, you might wonder, what is Paul referring to when he speaks about earthly things or things above? Well, the answer to that question, really, you can find in those following verses of 5 to 17 and even to 19. That's why we've read most of them together. And there Paul first dwells on earthly things. Well, what are they? What are the earthly things? What are the things below that we need to say goodbye to and farewell? Well, the list is long. And I dare say the list is ugly. Really ugly. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy talk, lying. Now what are you supposed to do with those kind of things? Paul says you're supposed to put them to death. Where to get rid of them? Radically remove them. And why are we to do that? Well, once again, because remember, these are the kind of things that twist our lives out of focus, that pervert our vision, that provoke God's wrath. And you'll notice if you break it down, Paul's list includes sexual sins, material sins, emotional sins, verbal sins. And he says all of these things do one thing, and that is they destroy and they devastate human lives. And you want an illustration of that? Look back last week to that archbishop in the Maritimes. He was caught with all kinds of child porn on his laptop computer. One day, he's a man who's esteemed by his community. Today, he probably gets stoned by the same community if he showed up there. You see, it's a case of another life ruined by sin. And that's why Paul says, put this stuff to death, terminate it. Even stronger, slaughter it, eradicate it. But you know, that's not all he says. He says, and there you have the Apostle Paul again with his marvelous balance. He, he also goes on to speak positive about positive things, about the things that are above. And he says, you know, set your minds 
So concentrate with your minds, with your rational abilities, with your thinking powers on the things that are above. And he says, those things, those are the kind of things you need to put on. You need to clothe yourself. You need to dress yourself. You need to have this kind of a wardrobe in your life and in your closet. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, thankfulness, and music. Good music. And again, what a list. Only this time it's such a blessed and beneficial list. Here's good stuff with which to clothe and cover and adorn your life. If you like or if you need a personality facelift, this, people, is the one to aim for and work for and pray for and hope for. Yes, and now together... These two lists, the one profoundly negative, the other profoundly positive, surely will give us lots of stuff to busy ourselves with in this new season. There's no lack of bad stuff to shed, and there is no lack of good stuff, thankfully, to put on. You see, there's ample work for our minds here. But then, not just normal minds, but minds that have been infiltrated and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Because as surely you will understand, this isn't just natural native stuff. This isn't homegrown things that we're talking about. This is not what we do by nature. No, for this, to do this, to accomplish this in our lives, we need help, lots of help. Help from the Spirit. Because ultimately, He's the only one who can really take these so often earth-bound lives of ours and make them heavenly. He's the only one who can destroy the, the grip that the things below have on our lives and direct us to the things above. And so throughout this season, once again, we need to look to the Spirit of the living God. We need to ask the Father and the Son to send Him. We need to pray that our lives will be filled by him. And we need to plead with him constantly to tune and change our minds. Oh, and one last thing as well. Plead with God and the Spirit that he will also do something with those eyes of yours. You know, our text refers to raised hearts, raised minds, but also, I dare say, raised hearts. Where does it refer to raised hearts in our text? Well, look at the last verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, that's language that's worthy of a pit stop, so to speak. 
Paul writes, when, when Christ appears, not if he appears or maybe he's going to appear or, or perhaps or, or definitely not. No, Christ says, or Paul says it's a matter of when. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. The only problem we have is we don't know the day and the hour and the minute. The Father does. But it's going to happen. And notice too, then Paul adds a marvelous saying, when Christ who is your life. In other words, when your way of life is caught up with Christ, when he is the origin, the source, the the substance of your life? What's the substance of our life? What's at the center of your life today? What motivates you? What what drives you? What keeps you going? What what allows you to to make sense of, of all of life? Paul says it's Christ when when Christ is your life. And notice when he appears, he's coming again. And when he comes again, all of creation, all of the universe, all of mankind will see him. Because when he comes again, he's coming in glory. The first time, he came quietly. The second time, there's going to be a lot of fanfare. The first time, he came as a newborn babe. The second time, he's coming as a triumphant king. The first time, he came in obscurity. But when he appears again, he'll come in glory. And how precisely that will be The Bible doesn't say, and I don't totally know, except, except, I think we have a hint of that. In Revelation chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 1, you have this marvelous description of the Christ that John sees. And it starts in verse 12 of Revelation 1 and goes to verse 17 for effect, as you'll see in a minute. Notice there it says, I turned, John writes, around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And notice the effect, verse 17. I like that. When I saw him, John says, I fell as though I was 
dead. Now, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, whether this is the way that Christ is going to come back. But notice, Paul says it it will be in glory. And it's going to have a, a, a devastating effect on all of creation. On all people. On all the created realm. And notice one more thing. And that's kind of Paul's way of rounding it off. When Christ comes back in glory, we shall too. Then you also will appear with him in edification, in glory. See, Christ's glory is going to be our glory. His death, our death, His resurrection, our resurrection, His ascension, our ascension, His glory, our glory. And that means, of course, His light, our light, His splendor, our splendor, His brilliance, our brilliance. And so you see, beloved, all of this, and I think it's going to be the most awe-inspiring thing that you and I have ever seen with our eyes. And that's why Paul says, keep those eyes up. Keep them looking for the day, the great day, when Jesus Christ will appear. Because on that day, you're not only going to be linked to all the, the work of Christ, you're also going to participate fully the glory of Christ. Now I think that's a visitation theme that's worthy of more attention because it confirms and corrects, it reveals and reminds, it comforts and consoles us. So beloved, may God Bless us together with the elders of the congregation as in this new season we dwell on these precious words of Scripture and may they have a great and wonderful impact in the lives of all of us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.